Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. When a Chicago sports team wants a new stadium, should the public have to foot some of the bill? I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. There's been a lot of talk from sports teams and fans alike when it comes to whether teams are moving or building new stadiums. The Chicago White Sox and the Red Stars are among the latest teams in the city who have been having these conversations and asking for public money to pay for it. To learn more about how stadium funding works and some of the benefits and drawbacks of using public dollars, we turned to Justin Marlowe, a research professor at the UChicago Harris School of Public Policy and director of the Center for Municipal Finance. He starts with a little of the backstory on why taxpayer money is sometimes used to fund stadiums. Early on, a lot of professional sports stadiums were actually owned by cities and parks districts and others. And so there's a long history of public support directly, indirectly, and lots of other ways for professional sports stadiums. Well, why has that been the case, that taxpayer money is what funds these sports stadiums? Yeah, the traditional argument is that there's economic development benefits that come from it. That if you have a professional sports team, it creates jobs, certainly in the construction of the facility, creates jobs for people working at maintaining, operating those facilities. And then it also creates a lot of economic activity around the facility. People showing up to eat at restaurants, go to bars, Mm -hmm. all of the different uh, taxes on, say, licensing and streaming as of late, which is a a big revenue source. And then everything that just comes with the kind of brand value of the team, having the ability to say we are a, a, a big league sports uh, city that we have. This is a, you know, we're, we're known for this. This is a core part of our identity. You know, all those things directly or indirectly ultimately translate into all sorts of benefits for the public. And so that's the argument of why there should be public investment. Yeah. And you were listening along to my chat with Cheryl there. I mean, it can be easy to look at White Sox and Bulls owner Jerry Reinsdorf, who's a billionaire, and say, well, why don't you fund it? Right. Instead of going to city and state leaders like Mayor Johnson and Governor Pritzker to ask for the funding. So just so it's clear for our listeners, Justin, why can team owners ask for public money? I mean, put it in context, as you were saying, when when Jerry Reinsdorf bought the Sox in 1981 for I think it was 20 million dollars compared to their estimated value today, which is a little bit north of two billion dollars. That's like a 10,000 percent return compared to if you had put that money in the stock market, that's about four times what you have earned if you had put it in the stock market. So it's certainly been a a profitable investment for him. I think there's there's a couple of reasons why owners uh, try to encourage the public to make these kinds of investments. Again, there's a lot of the economic development benefits that I mentioned. There's also in some ways we think about just the financial operations of professional sports. There's a lot of value in the team. And yet from a just cash flow year in, year out perspective, it's actually kind of a tough business. There's a lot of the a lot of the money goes immediately out the door in expenses, certainly to players and coaches and all of the expenses of just operating a team and operating a facility. So it can be difficult to just come up with the dollars to make those investments in a multi-billion dollar facility. Most teams just don't have that sort of sitting around. Most owners either aren't willing to or just aren't able to come up with those dollars. And so having some of that public financing can help get over that initial hump of getting the dollars you need just to be able to, to break ground and get the facility moving forward. Governor Prisker expressed his reluctance to, to give White Sox team owner Reinsdorf the over $1 billion 
that he's seeking to move the team from you know 35th to the South Loop. Let's listen to the governor. The taxpayers' dollars are uh, precious. Unless a case is made that the investment yields a long-term return for the taxpayers that we can justify in some way, I haven't seen that yet. On the other hand, let's listen to Mayor Johnson. My conversation with Jerry was, was very positive. One of the things that, that I that did appreciate in their presentation is that what they're considering, um, it's the way new stadiums should and could look. So the mayor has also said, everything's on the table here, right? So what kind of return are we talking about? Yeah, it's always a challenge. There's been lots of research on this question of how much additional economic benefit you get from these kinds of subsidies. And although it's sort of mixed and it always, of course, depends on the specifics, I think the consensus among researchers today is that it's really difficult to justify the idea that a professional sports stadium is going to bring in all sorts of new sales taxes, new amusement taxes, et cetera. Certainly what it does is it redistributes where people are spending their entertainment dollars, but you don't necessarily get that kind of big return in terms of additional tax dollars. In some, again, in some situations that may be the case, but that's sort of less the case in, in many others. Mm -hmm. I think in this case, the, the justification is probably along a couple lines. Certainly one is as was uh, as the mayor's quote just suggested that there is something to be said for the way a lot of these facilities are done now and that they're catalysts for economic development in the surrounding area and there's some really high profile examples of that certainly a lot of people point to cleveland's ballpark back in the day as yeah. as, a, as an example of one that really transformed the neighborhood around it and so in some sense that's what a lot of owners are looking for and having that real estate developer rule uh, also brings in some additional revenue streams that you can leverage lots of different ways. It makes it a more attractive business in many ways for team owners. And so to be able to say that you would put like a new stock stadium in the 78 or th and or the Bears and or anyone else right. who's seeking these kinds of investments, it could potentially have a, a really transformational impact on the 78, make the team's business model better, lead to all kinds of spinoff economic development benefits connect the 78 to the rest of the South Loop, for instance, and, and you know, potentially have that, that sort of outsized economic impact. It's hard to get your arms around, and it, it really depends on a lot of assumptions. It's a very long, forward-looking approach to it. But I think that's probably the case that we'll hear coming from Adria Reinsdorf and a lot of these owners in the, in the coming weeks and months. Well, people who are uh, against using tax dollars towards a new stadium, what's their argument? That it doesn't necessarily generate the, the returns that you think it does. That, again, a lot of the tax dollars that are collected don't necessarily come from people coming to town for a game. Uh, in the case of the Sox, you could argue that all that will happen is there'll be fewer people going to bars and restaurants in Bridgeport, and now those same people will be going to bars and, and restaurants in the South Loop. Mm -hmm. Is that a net gain for taxpayers? Many would argue no. And then there's also, again, it's just it's hard to make the case that somebody who has generated a, a 10,000% return on their investment in the Sox needs additional public support to make that a good business. And so I think there's strong arguments on both sides, both the, the pro and the against. Certainly the tide in the last 15, 20 years or so has been against public subsidies. We've seen a few more uh, projects as of late that have seen substantial public investment. This one would be, I think, in some sense, kind of turning the tide more in the direction of public subsidies than what we've seen yeah. in other settings as of late. Considering that this is taxpayer money or public money, does the public have any way to give their input on this potential investment? Yeah, this is where it gets really tricky because you're, you're talking about uh, these state public authorities, which are 
you know, creatures of the state created by the state, the, the ISFA, uh, as was mentioned at the beginning of this, in, in particular, is, is probably the vehicle through which this would be done. Uh, they have public participation requirements just like anyone else. They, it's, a, it's a public entity, but it's not like city government or state government where most people know how to provide input on what they think ought to be done. So more than likely, uh, what would happen is something very similar to what happened when they created the ISFA in the late 80s, where they really will run through the state and the state will have to take public input and we'll see what sort of form that takes. But yeah. it does it does complicate things as opposed to if it were a, a city project or a county project or someplace else. Um, the the way that this happens and the governance for it is a, is a little bit more complex. What other way could this be funded? Certainly, the a lot of these stadiums these days are done through what we might call a public private partnership, where the team and the team and or other investors put up a lot of the money. In some cases, actually build the facility and then get reimbursed over time by uh, taxpayer subsidies or some other type of public money. And that could certainly happen here. We haven't seen an actual plan as of yet, so it could go in any number of different directions. Yeah. But uh, that's that's a model that we've seen a lot of other places. Certainly what has happened in Los Angeles, for instance, with the Rams and their new facility in Englewood, that was a lot of private money up front with a lot of public subsidies on the back end. And that has some advantages for taxpayers, namely that it's not uh, public debt that's being issued to support mm-hmm. to support the project. Uh, so that's certainly a model, and there's you know, there's others that have been used in in some other settings. But my my suspicion is that they'll do something similar to what's been done before, uh, only uh, larger, potentially with more public money and maybe yeah. even some more complexity. Do you think cities are worried about their professional sports teams leaving? I'm thinking of the Oakland Athletics moving to Vegas. Like, does that? maybe put pressure on city and state leaders to, to fund these types of stadium projects to just keep them in town? It, it does. It, there's, again, it, it depends everywhere you go. I think the, I think it's harder to make the case in Chicago that losing the Sox would be a, a massive blow to the city's international reputation. Certainly Chicago's known for lots of other things other than the White Sox. That's not necessarily the case if you're in, say, Buffalo, who's about to put $850 million in, in taxpayer subsidies into a stadium for the Bills. Uh, or certainly when you go to the National Hockey League, you think about the Edmonton Oilers or the Calgary Flames. I mean, these are pro sports teams that are at the core of that city's identity. So right. in, in those settings, it really is a threat. And city leaders are willing to to do essentially whatever needs to be done to make sure that the team stays there. But in many other places, if there's just not that, that sort of cachet where the brand of the team is connected to the brand of the city, then it's not quite as much of a threat. And I think that's very much the case here in Chicago. And it'll be interesting to see how the debate unfolds for exactly that reason. Justin Marlowe is a research professor at the U Chicago Harris School of Public Policy and director of the Center for Municipal Finance. Thank you so much. Thank you. This episode of the Reset Podcast was produced by Micah Yason, edited by Meha Ahmed, and mixed by Brenda Ruiz. If you like what you're hearing here on Reset, please make sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and review if you can. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thank you for listening. Let's talk again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.